Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. And Aaron, the sun is out. It is not raining today. Uh, I, I think I saw a dove with an olive branch. Uh, <laughs> that was crazy. What? I don't watch the news. So when that came and my weather, like emergency weather, whatever that I had to buy yeah. when I moved here was uh-huh. just going off constantly. That was like four days of thunderstorms. Like I love thunder here. That's uh-huh. wonderful. But... I mean, it was getting pretty floody in the area. Oh man, you're living you're living close to Stones River there. A lot of waterways and creeks, and uh, I imagine plenty of the roads got flooded out. There were uh, you know flood warnings all over Murray County and Williamson County. There were 35 rescues here in Williamson County. Water rescues in one day. Well, one of those might have been one of my children. Oh no, that's I'm in a different county. Yeah. Uh, oh really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, one of my children drove his mother's uh, minivan into a lake of water, and the police ah. got a raft and got him out. Oh, uh, the man. Mini, the minivan may be totaled. Oh, that we didn't just have liability insurance on it. But, oh. you know, <laughs> what what can you do? But, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, and uh, you know we did. It's it's about that time of year here in uh, the South. Uh, you know, tor- tornado time. This when is Allie tornado time. T- it's coming up, man. And there were there was tornado activity. Of course, it was south of us this time. It got through Alabama. Did did a fair amount of damage around Birmingham. Um, yeah, we can look forward to them now. So Allie and I have to empty the hall closet. We don't have a basement in this hundred-year-old house. Uh, oh, but so, come on! I mean, I remember we, my earliest tornado experiences were at your house, and we just go up to the pub around the corner, the Bungonut <laughs> Pig, which means <laughs> what the the multi the three testicle pig, right? And they have a basement level pub, and right. we would just play cards until the uh, <laughs> the alert stopped. I thought tornadoes are the are you kidding yeah, me? I, I know, I know. But when tornadoes come in the middle of the night, when the bunganut pig is closed, you gotta have, oh. uh, you gotta seek shelter. You need a, you need a second plan at that point. Yeah, exactly. No exactly. cards in Guinness at, <laughs> during that. <laughs> oh, my brother. See, this um, is this is good. On the show, we're all learning something. I had no idea this was tornado season. I don't know why I thought it was more like September, but no. Well, actually, they it's whenever we get those big collisions of, uh, you know, warm air masses and cool air masses. They tend to happen in the spring, the early spring and the late fall. So, um, yeah. Well, so, yeah. all right. I just ignore Keep it all. Keep your phone on and be, yeah, be ready for the alerts. And do you have a place? What are you going to do? Where do you have a place to go there at the house? We, we have a closet a under the stairs. So okay. that's our spot. It's deep. And uh, there's not as many of us in the house. There's not six of us. We used to have okay. pillows in there and water for six. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I never know when to go. 
when we would get those alerts after we first moved here, they would all go to bed and I would have to stay up. But then I uh-huh. also didn't know what am I staying up for? Right. Like at what point do I say everybody in the closet? Nobody tells me this. So the alerts okay. keep saying, get ready. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there are tornado watches and tornado warnings. And then you should be within hearing of a siren. Definitely, if you hear a siren, you only have minutes. And you don't mean like uh, a sexy woman standing on the rocks beckoning from my boat. Well, that too, yes. But then uh, in addition to that, there will be a high-pitched uh, uh, screaming sound. That's a uh, less sexy woman who's angry at me <laughs> for something I've done wrong. <laughs> Yeah, so there's the tornado watch, which just says conditions are ripe for tornadoes. So be aware that conditions are ripe. Then there is a tornado warning, which means uh, a tornado has been spotted or uh, uh, close to touchdown somewhere in the general vicinity of where you are. And then the sirens go off. Yeah, okay. I've never heard the sirens, but I've got the warnings. That's when I have to stay up till like two in the morning, three in the yeah. morning till they say it's done. Yeah. But we've never gone in the closet for the warnings. Are we supposed to go in the closet for the warnings? Well, the smart thing to do is to is to turn on your television or your smartphone and uh, tune in. Because uh, what happens is the local news stations go on live uh, broadcast and they are tracking with Doppler radar exactly where the tornadoes are. Uh, and they can say, you know, in five minutes, it's going to be in Rockvale, which is where you live. And that lets you know. So half our listeners are laughing at me for these questions. The other half are with me on what? This seems too complicated. And I'm sticking with this is too complicated. I'm not going <laughs> in the closet. <laughs> well, the, well the, this, is, this is why there are not that many fatalities anymore. Uh, during tornado season because we've got a great communication system and we have got, you know, that weather radar is, you know, very, very accurate. So the the people who get hammered are the people who aren't paying attention, who aren't listening, or aren't tuning in. What about those so, who are paying attention but doing nothing? Do they also count in that, that category? Yeah, 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 those with suicidal tendencies also <laughs> put themselves at risk. Damn it. All right. Yeah. That's All right. Fine. This has been a public service announcement from the Pirate Monk podcast. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, <laughs> this has been good for me. I don't know if it's good for anyone else. <laughs> I feel like anyone it was good for already knew this stuff, but it's good for me. Well, we're going to do another public service uh, this week. We're going to have a talk about uh, mental illness in the family. A very personal talk with a guy who, uh, who I know and love, and I know you're going to love him too. We'll be back in a minute on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. I can't even express how happy I am to have on the show this week an old friend of mine. Well, you could uh, express it through dance. 
I mean, we can both see you. That's a way. That's a way to express. Steve, um, do you vote for a dance? Do you uh, want a Nate dance? I want a Nate dance. I, I, uh, let's let's see that. <laughs> it's totally not happening. Uh, it must have been. Uh, by my reckoning, 1985 or 1986, Allie and I had just departed from a Presbyterian church, one and wandered into another one, a little church, Cypress Presbyterian Church in Pompano Beach, Florida, church that no longer exists, by the way, Steve. Oh, really? Uh, it, it, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a very energetic music director uh, was organizing and rehearsing for the Easter uh, service. And uh, that was my first introduction to this amazingly uh, talented, uh, personable, you know, not just likable, but lovable, lovable guy, Steve Zier. And more, his, more, more. <laughs> <laughs> and his lovely, enigmatic wife, Susie, who I eventually did meet. Um. So I, I did, I gathered early, uh, early on in our relationship that Susie, they were both artists. So, uh, and Susie, I know, was working in television and Steve was doing his deal. Take us back, if you would, Steve. This was before the girls arrived. No kids yet, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, uh, she was an actress and had, and had been doing television ads and that kind of thing for quite a while. She was actually with the uh, Screen Actors Guild for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was doing more stage stuff and, um, and then, and happened to start at a church, Cypress Prez there just as mm-hmm. a choir director, you know, and doing music. But she, uh, she was actually even in Miami Vice, if you remember that show. Yeah. From the yeah. <laughs> Giant phones and Ferrari Testarossas. Who doesn't? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so she was, she was fairly accomplished and, you know, she, uh, she was really just full of life. Really, really fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, how had you guys met? Uh, tell us a little bit about kind of the start of the story, if you will. Well, when I when I moved to Florida, because mm-hmm. um, I took on a job called the People Mover. I was the People Mover, which was I was just doing a one man show in elementary schools um, and Six Flag Parks as well, um, mm-hmm. using magic and storytelling and different things, singing and whatever, uh, to communicate values, caring, uh-huh. sharing. Basic. We couldn't talk about Jesus, but we could talk about basic principles. And uh, so I went down to church, to South Florida, and that's where I met Susie in a small church that met in a home. And um, it was kind of full of anti-establishment Christians, uh-huh. um, <laughs> which what kind of had you know we had kind of an attitude, I guess, towards the, the organized church a bit. And uh-huh. um, there were about. I think four or five professional entertainers in this group. Mm -hmm. We even had a Christian bounty hunter in the group, (laughs) but but, uh, we, we really connected and I just really, that was where Susie and I met and Uh um, we, we didn't fall in love right away. We just became really good friends uh, performing together and just laughing a lot together. She was, four years older than I and four inches taller than I. So um, I was not looking for somebody that tall and <laughs> was not I wasn't considering that. And she wasn't even looking for somebody at the time, but yeah. Um, anyway, we eventually after two years, we did fall in love and we got married then. 
and uh, stayed in South Florida because her mom lived in South Florida. I didn't have any family down there. And the only family she had was her mom who lived in Miami. So we mm-hmm. stayed down there for, I was there for 23 years. So Wow. Yeah, yeah. And you guys had such great comedic chemistry. You played off each other so well. Um, yeah. That's, huh? what would, that's what everybody would tell me. <laughs> <laughs> she would do these off-the-wall things because that's just her personality, and I, they all look at me, and I'd be rolling my eyes or something. And um, it's just, it's just, it was kind of our dynamic. But um, I remember there was a, a well-known – Christian music writer at the na- time named Flo Price. I doubt mm-hmm. you remember that person, but anyway, she saw us and she said, "You two fit like a hand in a glove." And it, it's true; we just really went together, really real well, complemented each other. And you know, I, w- I was a little bit more stable, and she was a little bit more off the wall. Uh-huh. But it was cool. It was cool. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were kind of the straight man in the act. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, now um, I, you know, I knew Steve Zier. I knew who you were. Well, I drifted off. Allie and I started a church. I went deep into sex addiction very secretly. Nobody knew what was going on with me. Uh, my, my uh, I built and protected as best I could a solid Christian reputation in South Florida and, you know, was sincere in my faith, but, you know, deeply messed up. Um, and the next time I kind of, you know, our we were walking closely together was after Allie and I had left the pastoral ministry, we joined a church in Coral Springs, Florida. Uh, First Baptist at the time became Riverside Christian Fellowship. And lo and behold, there's Steve Zare. And yeah, as the worship pastor and, uh, and, and sweet Susie. Um, What was it? So what was life for you? Well, now it's a little farther down the road. I think the girls had, you had a first, maybe a second child by this time. I don't know if my memory serves me right, but. Maybe by the time you got there, yes. <clears throat> Heather Heather was born in, uh, in 1987. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, we we were on staff. I We had actually gone part-time first on staff there just as youth directors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I was, had decided to get serious about life after just doing my own thing for eight years. And so I went back to school and mm-hmm. uh, was getting, I was in, in school again, getting my degree in music education. But as I was doing that, I was also carrying two part-time jobs. And so, uh, and the church was one of them. Yeah. And by, by the time I graduated, I, I had told the pastor at that time, I, I really need to get a full-time job and get you know, be, be, have a big boy job. And, um, and he said, we'd like to hire you full time as music. So that was, that was cool. Yeah. But by this time, uh, you were well aware that there was, there was another kind of full time job at home. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell us about kind of your becoming aware of Susie's issues and then how that played as a dynamic with your, uh, increasingly public professional life. And yeah, uh, yeah. How, what it was like. Well, when we first got married, I knew that uh, Susie had OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, dealing mm-hmm. with mostly germs and that kind of thing. Her mother um, struggled with a severe case of it. And so, and I had met her mom and got to know her mom a little bit and knew about that. And when we first got married, um, 
that definitely was an issue, but it was something, I don't know, we could deal with it. It, it, You know, I don't know. It wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, We Mm -hmm. worked kind of like Howie Mandel works around it. We worked around it. It it wasn't that big. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but after, oh, probably seven years into our marriage, it started to really show itself uh, in more ways. The depression really got um, pretty bad. And um, we decided to go seek some help. We had never done that before, uh, some professional help. And they, she began to tell us about serotonin and all this stuff going on in the brain. And we had never heard of any of that. Mm-hmm. And she suggested that we actually go to a psychiatrist, which we did. And he then diagnosed her with a mild case of Tourette syndrome, which is the ticking thing, which is usually mm-hmm. accompanied then by some signed some kind of sound. Usually for a lot of people, people know it as the blurting out of obscenities or whatever, but for her, it was just sniffing and she went, she had a tick and he yeah. noticed it right away and said that that's what it was. And I said, well, that's doesn't seem to be what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with some depression, which is debilitating and, and um, the OCD. And he said, yes, it's all goes under this umbrella. It all kind of goes together. Well, he put her on some medication uh, we again never heard of any of this stuff before. Yeah. Prozac was the drug, but now everybody knows about Prozac, but we had never heard of it before. And um, and she began to actually react in a good way, but it wasn't long after that that it got. She kind of took a dive again, yeah. and I don't really know if it was just side effects from it or if it just wasn't working. But um, he suggested that she get put into um, a mental hospital. For it was a private one. It wasn't the one flew of the cuckoo's nest kind of place, but it was right. you know a private place, and um, they could really get her medication managed better that way. Can and I, I said, okay, um, not again, not knowing anything about it. She was scared to do it, but admitted, yeah, let's do that. But it was traumatic going through that even because they did the strip search, and they just it was it was a very traumatic thing for her and she just was dying for me not to leave and I had to leave and I couldn't see her for a week after being admitted and it was it was really really not good and yeah uh, so tell me real (laughs) real quick yeah I mean that's the beginning however you've been going on a journey while having a public job within the church and just mental illness in general is stigmatized in a weird way you know, if somebody has diabetes, if someone has a broken leg, everybody makes space for that person so that they can work through what they need to build a ramp, uh, give them extra time. Mental illness is often, hey, let's pray about this more. You need to work on your faith. There's a whole lot of weird stuff that goes with it. So I'm curious how, whether that was something you felt like you had to keep secret, but then as things were escalating as far as, wow, we're saying this is deeper talking about going to an institution. How did that work with being in the church? Uh, I'll have to say, um, and and Nate can attest to this. um, The church we were at was a unique group of people. Yeah. Um, They were just a loving, caring, kind family of people. And um, they loved us, which was just a gift from God. And um, even though no one understood what was going on, uh, they didn't know what to do with her. I didn't know what to do with her. 
but they were extremely supportive. And um, we did go through tons of things of, you know, praying for demonic <laughs> mm-hmm. cleansing and all of that. Um, and loving people in the church helped us doing that because we thought that's what it was. But we did because we just didn't know anything about it. And um, we got some counseling from people in the church. Um, one person that was getting a master's in psychology. So she was very helpful and befriended Susie. And we really had a lot of support. But um, yeah, the stigma was still there. I mean, I've had even people from that church say, what was wrong with her all that time? And, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's all, the stigma's always been there. But I was just, I think it was a God thing that we, it all came to head in a church that was so community and so yeah. loving. Yeah. Because I've really not been in a church since that was quite that close and um, committed to each other. That's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you said that was only the beginning. Yes, it it went on. Um, the total time we were married for thirty five years, and uh, it went on for about twenty eight years. She was hospitalized five times because she attempted suicide five times, and um, it it just got worse and more complex and. Part of the problem was not just uh, the neurological part of her being mentally ill, but she had a mother who was also mentally ill, and she never, Susie never learned how to deal with anything in life. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you knew her, even at the age of 65 when she passed, she um, still had relationships on a childlike level. It was, they were just she didn't even know how to have a real adult relationship. And, um, it it really was her mother's doing. Um, she lived, she lived with her mom was single, a single mom with mental illness, but then she worked. So her Susie would end up going to her grandparents right after school who were just absolute filthy pigs. Mm -hmm. They never changed their sheets. They just put new ones on top. Um, and they didn't go to the bathroom. They had a, a, a pot near the bed. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was disgusting. And so she was in that kind of environment during the day and then would go home with her mom to uh, an OCD sterile environment where if she didn't take a bath in the middle of the night, her mom would wake her up and make her go take a bath at two in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was just a constant thing like that. And then you, her mother was bipolar, so she would be loving on her one minute and screaming at her with obscenities the next. And she just never had any kind of stability or any kind of tools to deal with life. And I think that ultimately was the bigger issue because the medication can help with all those mental illnesses. They can help. But she she just never could process life as an adult and uh well that's uh, that's a that's a big thing you're talking about medication can help with a lot of the symptoms but that only brings you up to a point that you then have to work out the other pieces that you couldn't work out when you were under the deep oppression of of the mental illness exactly but that's a whole different journey so i think people get confused that oh medication fixes this no, it brings you to the place that you then do the cognitive and life work to fix it. Absolutely. Mm. 
And, and she went through, um, it's called DBT, which you may have heard of before, but it's a very intense year long um, focus group that would meet two or three times two or three times a week. I can't remember. She ended up doing it three years and still mm-hmm. never really got it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I can imagine, well, I can, I can barely imagine. I can begin to imagine with my rudimentary empathic skills what it was like as a husband and a co-parent um, to uh, live with, be yoked with, be – and love uh, a woman who was uh, fragile and highly unpredictable. Um, What I hear from you right now, Steve, is um, you have a deep understanding of how she got to where she is. Um, And so you were able to extend an awful lot of grace. I've got to imagine, though, there must have been times of Frustration, anger, intense loneliness, feelings of resentment. I, I would have battled with entitlement. Uh, what was the inner struggle for you like during those years? Because you were also, you, you were caring for those little girls too. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I would say all of the above um, mm-hmm. because there were, uh, I was very focused on um, the girls mm-hmm. and that really kept me going a lot. Um, I don't know if I would have been able to stay with her if we didn't have them. I, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, I, I was. I would go through all those things. I mean, my job was worship leader. Yeah, and so I would have to get up in front of everybody and um, lead them in a God who's w- worthy of all our worship. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I would get up there many times when I was just plain angry at him. Or mm-hmm. feeling totally alone and just like hopeless, you know. Um, but I would get up there and I'd say, God, I'm going to do this because it's my job and you've given me this job and you're nothing has changed with you, I know, but I'm not feeling real happy with you right now. So you're just going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and he would. I, it was, it'd be interesting on those Sundays, it would be the time when people would come up and say, wow, Steve, the worship was just so sweet this morning. <laughs> it was no there were many times i would just even just go to the piano during the week and and sing you know prayers to god just sobbing because i was just so frustrated Mm -hmm. and you took literally um you know the admonition of scripture there are times we are commanded to worship absolutely yeah 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 and it's counterintuitive and it takes uh it takes effort to go there but i saw you do it week after week and i saw you lead a worshiping community uh and it didn't end there you eventually you wound up i'm not quite sure how it happened but you wound up uh, across town at presbyterian church and not long after that ali and i were sitting uh in the congregation there at uh, Crawl Springs Press. Uh, oh, did you go there? I don't remember. Yeah. Oh, okay. But I was, I'll tell you what, I was at that point so detached. I was, I was going through the motions. Oh. Uh, but I was living uh, in an awful lot of hopelessness at that point with my mm-hmm. hidden addiction, right? 
And I wasn't get, I was careful not to get close to anybody. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that you don't remember I was there. I was maintaining a very low profile. Well, it was, it was a very large church too. And so, yeah, it, uh, it was easy to, you know, I would have, I would have, no, no, you guys. I'm surprised I don't remember you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was in a bad spot. It was an angry spot. I will tell you this one time that uh, I, I, Allie insisted on going and I went resentfully, you know, and, uh, and and whenever we got back to the car, you know, I would have something dismissive to say about the service, not not about the worship, but about the preaching. I was a terrible yeah. critic of preaching. The music, the music was great, though, <laughs> every time. <laughs> and one time, Allie just turned to me and she said, if you had been at the Sermon on the Mount, you would have said Jesus should have been better prepared. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> uh, uh, you guys eventually uh, departed for parts north. You went off to the to the wilds of Minnesota. And um yeah. Yeah, that was that was an interesting move too. Just because you know my kids were um, one was going into eighth grade, the other going into ninth grade, and yeah. um, that's not really the time to pick them up and move them, take them away from all their friends, and to move to a new place. Yeah, but um, I just really was praying, God, if this is something we need to do, because we, Susie and I, both wanted to get out of South Florida, and yeah. we just wanted to move closer to family, which was in mid- Midwest, and. Um, so I went ahead and my kids went to visit their cousins in Wisconsin. And when they came back, they said they want to move. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they never complained at all. They were very excited the whole time about leaving Florida and going up north. Now, when I was looking for a job, I really wasn't looking to move to Siberia, but I have <laughs> it's such a wonderful place to live if you're an arts person or yeah. even a sports person. They just got everything here. But anyway, uh, we've just loved it. And uh, so yeah. I moved. I mean, I've been at two churches in up in Minnesota, and uh, mm-hmm. I'll probably retire from this one. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, I wonder if you can tell us uh, what are the spiritual lessons you have learned as uh, a husband caring for a mentally ill wife. Well, and I suppose this leads to you wrote a book about this, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, I um, I had about fifteen years ago had just felt like the Lord was putting it on my mind to write a book about this, but um, Susie was alive and. And she was, yeah, let's do it. And then she wrote uh, something, and it was totally, you couldn't make any sense of it even. And um, So I just said, well, that's on the back burner, and we'll forget about it. But after she passed away um, two summers ago, uh, I was, she passed away three years ago, but two summers ago I was with some friends that I had not seen in 40 years, and I was with them, and we all kind of caught up, and I told my story, and... um, that night when I went to the hotel to sleep, they, I just really felt like God was saying, you need to write this down. I told you and do it. And mm-hmm. I woke up. I really said, God, I, I, I'm not a writer. I, I can't do this. So if you want me to do it, you're going to have to do something very clear and um, to show me because like a fleece, whatever you call it, I got to <laughs> have it. And I opened a, the devotional that I was reading at the time by Henry Nowen and, and 
that particular thing was on that chapter that was you must tell your story. And um, <laughs> really, that's really what he was talking about. He was saying people should tell their stories because it wow. helps other people. And so I said, okay, God, I'm going to do that then. And um, I began writing. It took me about a year and um, it came out in January and we'll see. I love it. So what are those it. spiritual lessons? Go back to your question, Nate. Re-ask your question with that in mind. Okay. Well, um, obviously there are probably more than you can count, but um, I would say the end of the the end of the book even kind of sums it up like, a little bit to me, and that's I've been asked why I didn't leave, and when I was asked that question, it, it even threw me because I I just I don't know I had never really thought that much about why I didn't, and. Um, I think the reasons for me came that, first of all, God is who he is, and he loves me beyond what I'm even really able to understand. And beginning to really really get that, first of all, that that really is not just a nice saying that we say in church and all, but if if he's our father and really loves us, then he has something really, really good for each one of us. Mm -hmm. And... um, it doesn't jive with what I went through, but man, did I grow. Um, I, I am just not at all the, the same man that I was when we got married. And uh, I'm a much better man. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, I've learned that it's in those times when I'm the most needing him, the Lord, and I'm leaning on him. Those are the times that I experience him the most. And that I grow and become more like what I want to be. And um, and I also, I just really know that I'm only here for a period of time. And uh, like C.S. Lewis says, our hearts were made for eternity. And um, it's not for this time. And so, excuse me, but mm. I look forward to what comes after this life. Mm. Because it is a short time. If you think about it, 80, 90 years compared to eternity is just nothing. And um and if I'm if I'm really a child of God, then he's certainly never gonna leave me alone in the difficulties that come here. And it's I can handle it for the time that I'm here and um I don't know. I, I've also just really learned to love people that are not lovable and um, to know that there's a reason why people act the way they do and mm. try to understand better and just love people, um, even when they're mean. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, how's this resonating with you, Aaron? I, I'm certain that. Uh, you know, Steve's story has some resonance with your own. Does this prompt any questions from you, Aaron? <laughs> that was that was your lead-in to try to get me to say something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was very sensitive of you. Yeah, I mean, there is there is a lot of Steve's story that has to do with mine, um, mm-hmm. for sure, and. 
Actually, just the the last part, Steve, that you were talking about um, after going through that same stuff, uh, same same sorts of stuff with my wife. uh, There, we were married young, and a few friends that knew us well would ask things like, "Well, if you could go back and." Back when your marriage was canceled, when your wedding was canceled, what if you just hadn't kept pursuing that? Would you change that? That that's a big question I had to wrestle with. Would I have changed this? And uh, I will say this, but for anyone that thinks this is just the right answer, fuck them, because this was my soul's oxygen. Mm-hmm. I knew that I could never know God the way I did if I didn't walk through some of the really hard things that Mm -hmm. went with hard years of wrestling through mental illness of someone you love. I couldn't know that stuff. I couldn't be the person I was. And those were all the things that I loved most about God and about myself. And so how could I throw out one without throwing out the other? And so I could never, ever think, yeah, I, I would just ditch all this and go for something easier. Uh, not because I think the hardest path is always the best path, but I know I would have missed out on some of the hardest, best lessons. And I hate when that sounds like just a right answer. Cause when you were talking about that, I'm like, there you go. You understand what I'm talking about. You, you can't let go of that. And it doesn't mean you don't grieve and suffer, but so much of life seems to be for so many people. How do I get out of the suffering? Right. Most prayers are God take away the suffering. And I think maybe we just need to hang out with more Buddhists that don't mind the suffering. I don't know, because evangelical Christianity seems to think God wants to fix suffering when it appears that he ordained it because he put a damn fruit in the garden and a snake to try to get people to eat it. Absolutely. We can't ignore the importance of it. So I guess, Nate, uh, the the one thing that struck me is, oh, it's always nice to hear somebody that says something like, yeah, it sucks. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's kind of like I remember my father <clears throat> saying to me once. He he served in the Korean War, and uh, I think he he went in uh, when he was eighteen, I guess. And um, he would tell me how terrible it was. <laughs> he said it was just awful, and he said, "But I would never take it back. I would never wish you guys to go through what I went through." But I would. I am so grateful that I went through that because he said I came yeah. out a different person, and um, I really it was really good for him. So, and, and wow. also, and also recognizing what he said, there are a lot of people that came out of that war and couldn't process it in that way. So there's no one answer. Like no. there no. are people that come out of it grieving and suffering in different ways. And, and it's just not ours to judge. We just have to take every case. But I I do think that for someone that has your story, 
and my story, which is different but similar, they all have to be taken at such an individual level. And Mm. that's hard because we just want the answer. What's the answer to just tell people? So you have a loved one who suffers with mental illness. Here's what we tell you. Here's the box. Here's the happy meal. There's a toy inside. You'll find happiness at the end. It's a Christian movie. Everybody comes out good. Yeah. Mm. I I have to guard myself um, when I'm talking to people who have come to me and said, you know, I I really struggle with this too, or I have my husband or my wife really struggles with this. And and I, I have to guard against saying, well, you should try this or you should try that because you know, it, it may not be the same thing. It, yeah. She may that need medication. It may just be, I don't know what it is, but uh, to just say, I understand how you feel. And um, I know that when Susie was, was struggling, there were many, there was a next door neighbor who I don't think really knew the Lord, but was very valuable to Susie because she just said, I'm here and I'll do any, if you want me to help trim the trees, I'll do that. Um, and she was just there as a friend to Susie. She didn't try to fix her, didn't try to give her an answer, just was a friend. And that was so valuable to Susie at the time. Mm. We, we, we need to not try to fix people all the time. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. that's hard. So what would you say to people that they hear a story somebody they know, maybe someone in the church, maybe a friend, and they're finally willing to say this because it is hard. Uh, Even if it's not about them, sometimes it's harder when it's a loved one that they don't want to out them. So what would you say, okay, here's a good response when somebody brings this up to you and you don't know what to say, where can they start? Well, um, it's interesting you would say that because just uh, this week, well, beginning, well, it was last week, um, someone read my book and they contacted me and, uh, and they said, I have a spouse that um, nothing to the degree or the level maybe that Susie did, but that has been struggling with mental illness, narcissistic type of behavior, and just kind of just a lot of issues. Um, for oh many years and what you know she just kind of just poured out her heart to me and i and i told her uh, because i know her i she lives near me i all that and um i i told her you know i'm here um because i know that even just telling me this in an email which she was doing mm-hmm. i said is cathartic for you is helpful to you yeah. just to have somebody to be able to say I'm like, I know, you know what I'm going through and thank you that you're there. Um, You know, if she would ever have any specific questions, I would tell her what I did for that. But otherwise I'm here. And if you want to talk more, please, I'd be happy to with no judgment on your spouse or you in any way. Hmm. I had to, I had to get past the judging Susie because there were times when I would just say, buck up, you know, um, but she was debilitated. I mean, she, there would be weeks that she'd be in bed. I mean, so you, you just kind of have to be, well, be well, a loving, loving, listening person, you know? Mental yeah. illness can look a lot like selfishness to the people around them. 
Yeah, yeah. I think that feels like the hardest for a lot of us in our judgments. Like, come on, not, I mean, the buck up for sure, but also, hey, what about the rest of us? And and that can be a really hard judgment, which honestly I don't think has ever helped a person struggling with mental illness. Oh, you think I'm selfish? I will do better. I yeah. th- I think that usually doesn't happen. No. <laughs> and my and my kids would tell her she was selfish because they didn't. She couldn't put them first, you know. And um, she would try. She tried so hard to be a good mom. And um. And it wasn't that like she was, never was, because there were moments when she really was. But as a whole, that's not what they remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so. yeah, I did want to ask you before we close, how are Heather and Caitlin doing? Are they still, are they close to you? Are they in Minnesota? I, I, or Heather lives, Heather lives here in the Twin Cities okay. and is, is about three weeks away from giving birth to my first. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're um, going to love it, man. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot wait. I mean, I, I'm the only one in my family who, of my spout, of my siblings, that's not a grandparent right now. So oh, um, good. I'm looking forward to that. And Kate is in Chicago working. Um, oh, Heather's married. Kate is not married yet, but um, she lives in Chicago and just got a new job, uh, a big girl kind of job with a salary and benefits and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. So she, so no, uh, I, I just hope she listens to it to hear you call it a big girl kind of job. <laughs> I told her that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the book, once again, is titled In Sickness and in Health, A Husband's Story of Caring for a Mentally Ill Wife. The author is Steve Zier. Steve, if, um, if any of our listeners would want to reach out to you, would that be all right? And if so, Absolutely. how would they reach you? Um, email would probably be the best way. Okay. And that's S as in Steve, D as in David, dot Z as in zebra, E-H-R, at gmail.com. All right. Awesome. Well, listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. podcast well there you go <laughs> uh I, I you know i i know that that conversation was m- more special to me than to the average listener and probably to you as well because i go back <laughs> it was special to you and harder for me <laughs> i imagine it was uh because as i kind of hinted there at one point in the conversation that there. There are some parallels between Steve's story and yours. Uh, you know, Aaron, Aaron, uh, and the amazing disappearing wife. Um, the amazing and- disappearing wife. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know that, but okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, she's she's uh, you know, Jenny. For as long as I have known you, Jenny has been very very low profile. And, um, yes. Yeah. I, I know what you meant. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. and, 
you know, you certainly know what it's like to to focus on ministry. And even in the middle of your own spiritual struggle and even while uh, protecting, you know, not disclosing to the whole wide world, uh, you know, what's going on at home and protecting your wife, you know, s- still having to minister. So yeah, how, how did you, how did you, uh, well, I, th- I did, think did I, that bring I remember- up any memories for you? Go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, that's my life. I remember talking to you uh, probably, I don't know, however many years ago, uh, you first came to San Luis mm-hmm. um, and just kind of told you my story, which was always nice to have friends not yeah. from the area. Yeah. Because it's it's a hard thing when you're, when your marriage, I mean, there's, there's listeners who are like, we don't know a lot of Aaron's story. Well, my story is wrapped up in other people's hard things. Yes. And I can bear my hard things. And I have a handful of brothers who carry all those things. Yeah. But it's not for everybody to know all those hard things, but it's not because I don't want to tell them or I have an issue. It's because it's not my, it doesn't embarrass me. It's hard for them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's always been hard because I'm a super open person. Yeah. And so I'd love to just talk about everything. Yeah. And we talked about well, actually I remember when I wrote when I wrote my marriage book when I was twenty six because I was so confused about <laughs> I don't know how to be married. I'm just gonna write a book about it. Yeah. And and you said, You just need to tell your story in this. Like that would make this make sense, which is so true. There is that book makes almost no sense because it's mostly about marriage can be hard and suck. And that could be the best marriage. Well, without the story behind it, like, who is this person? Yeah. And I got that. And I remember saying to you, well, when she wants to tell the story, then I can tell the story. Um, but it's, it's not for me to tell it's, it's, it's that weird thing where it's your story, but I think of Aslan, one of my favorite things that comes up in the Chronicles of Narnia is when one of the kids asks Aslan about one of the other kids. And he says yeah. something like, that's not your story here. That's their story. Yeah. And he yeah. just like shuts them down. It happens at least twice, maybe more. And every time that happened, I thought that's so brilliant. And then I think of Paul with his thorn in the flesh and how many times theologians try to figure out what the thorn in the flesh is. Yeah. And it's like, well, if God intended to tell you, or if Paul intended to tell you, they would have freaking told you, but it's the thorn in the flesh. And so you don't get to know. Yeah. But that's hard. It's not isolating to me because there are people who know me. But yeah, when Steve was talking, I'm like, oh, man, to be able to just tell the whole story is is important. And yeah, I had a wife who struggled with really hard mental illness, and that was really hard for her, and it was super hard for me. Yeah. And it was super hard for me, not for a year, not for six months, but for huge periods of time. Um, but it really did make me the person that I am. 
Yeah. So if you think I'm a dick, well, it's her fault. But if you think that there's anything good, that's, that's also her fault, right? It was it was yeah. incredibly formative for me. Yeah. It slowed me down, and I will not call myself a selfless person at all. I'm not going to claim that because then I'm just asking for trouble. But whatever selflessness there is came from slowing down and walking through life in a very different way than I had planned. Yeah. 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 So you got to be there for a lot of that. <laughs> you can, I did. And, you and, can I, and I felt privileged. That was true. I got, I, I, I felt privileged to be one of the safe people that you could disclose to. I'm glad that you don't have to live with that reality all alone. And uh, yeah, I, I think that would have been, you know, spiritually fatal. Absolutely. Steve, I'm sure, would say the same thing. Steve couldn't be widely public with his story and Susie's story, but he did have, they did have a few close friends. Uh, yeah, they and could, the difference yeah. being, even before we did the interview, you know, she had been an actress, she had been on the stage, she had been right. in front of people. Yeah. Whereas my wife had always been very introverted. And yeah. very, like, private. So, yeah. uh, you know, these these are the things we do. But it goes back to us saying not every person has to know all the details of your story, but somebody has to know all the details of your story. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. and that's that's enough. And, I mean, it's not just somebody for me. Even I've been going through a, a hard time and man there's been four of you that have uh have been the guys that get the stories and yeah. get the calls and uh you know it makes me feel better that there's four of you so i don't feel like i'm just uh having to lean on any one of you all the time mm -hmm. but uh you all end up with the same stories eventually <laughs> yeah 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 well, it's a privilege. I'm so glad that God put us together. And, uh, you know, among the other things we get to do, we get to do this podcast. We get to have a regular conversation and share it with the wider brotherhood. I do hope well, people check out this book, though. I mean, this is something that is hard for people to deal with or yeah. understand, especially if they haven't dealt with it. So, sorry, that was confusing. Hard for people to navigate when people around them are dealing with it if they haven't dealt with it in their life. It's yeah. it's just a whole different thing. And I have so often thought, oh, man, if someone just got in a car wreck and was a quadriplegic, it would be immediately evident how do we make space for this person's suffering. Hmm. And when it comes to mental illness, it's all on the inside and they can still look happy. They can still look functional to so many people. And yet they are going through a lot of pain. So yeah. as much as we can do to understand that and make space and make some, some handicap ramps in the, the emotional and mental world, that's a gift to people yeah. who feel terrified that no one will take it seriously, that it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, I think we're coming up on the end of the hour, Aaron. Uh, we do, by the way, love always. Let me say it again. Love to hear from the listeners. And you can reach us at Pirate Monk Podcast at gmail.com. Until we're, next we're, week, then. We're, huh? we're, coming, we're coming up on our 300th episode. It's going to yeah. be an extravaganza. We're going to have balloons and confetti. Mm. I, don't, I don't know about that, but. Free hot know. dogs. In our mind, well, I'll I'll have a hot dog. Okay, <laughs> are, are you bringing hot dogs? <laughs> I like hot dogs. Okay, yes, three hundredth episode, amazing. It's not that far away. Not that far away. We're still trying to figure out the best way to celebrate, but we will do something special for the big three hundred. Well, until next week, then I'm Nate. I'm Aaron, and we are your pals on the Pirate Monk. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. <laughs>